So today I'm going to share a story. This is a story from my first silent meditation retreat, 10-day silent retreat. And if you've heard this story already, I'm sorry. But trying maybe to approach with beginner's mind that you might learn something new from hearing it. And also, Ramdas used to say, um, if you've heard this story a lot of times, imagine how many times I've heard it. So imagine how many times I've heard this story. My first 10-day silent retreat was in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. And, <laughs> oh man, I'm just remembering. I, so I pulled up in my car, and I had like two suitcases worth of stuff. And I remember walking up and not knowing how to, where to check in, what, uh, what I was doing, if I was in the right space. But I, I saw these people that looked like they were, they were definitely meditators. <laughs> and, you know, one person was just wearing a blanket. And that's it. A blanket covering his bottom half. That's all he was wearing. <laughs> And other people that just, they look like they, I looked like I, I might be in the right place. Plus, um, when I looked around, I saw people, they just had like one backpack or some people just had nothing, just the robes they were wearing when they were checking in. And I was, here I was, you know, 20 something from Long Island um, with my two suitcases and just like looking around am I in the right spot so I check in and they they give me a number you're in cabin A whatever so they say you know there are some blankets in the basement of this one room you might want to grab one it gets cold at night so I start freaking out and I, I run to the to the room where they say they might be the blankets, and I go down to the basement, and there's one blanket left. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to grab this blanket now, because it seems like these are going fast. And it was October. So during the day, it was maybe, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 degrees, somewhere in that range. But at night, it would get really cold. So when I got into my, <laughs> when I got into my cabin the first night... And it started, to, the, the temperature started to drop because it's up in the mountains and the temperature started to drop and I was covering everything in my, my body except for uh, my nose. My nose was the only thing that was sticking out and the, the rest of my body was covered from head to toe with anything I could find, sweatshirts I brought and... Um, blankets that I that I brought or blankets that they had. <laughs> I was just like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so I was in this cabin and it was shared uh, with one other person. But the cabin was, it was outside and it was this little cabin. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the whole thing was 200 square feet, but it was split down the middle. So maybe it was 100 square feet for me and my side. But there were also no lights in the cabin. There's no electricity, nothing. So when it was, if the, the, the cabin was made of wood and if the windows were closed and the blinds were closed, then there was absolutely no light in this cabin. 
it, it was split down the middle between me and my cabin mate, but it, the wall that went down the middle only went up like nine-tenths of the way. So there was a little space, maybe like a one-foot space at the uh, in between my my side and his side that was um, would allow for sound to travel through. So I could hear him shuffling around. I could hear him <laughs> reaching for blankets as well, uh, blowing his nose, whatever. I could, I could hear everything clearly. It was like he was in the room with me. So we, we went to the meditation hall, and we started to take the, the um, what do they call it? Courtesy of the eyes. Courtesy of the eyes, and we, we took the vow of silence on the first night. So nobody was to speak. For the next 10 days, nobody was to make eye contact, to read anything, to write anything. Um, no nonverbal communication, no gesturing, nothing. It's complete silence in every way. So we took that oath and we went back to the cabin and that's when I went. And I was sleeping, I was covered in everything. I covered my whole body except for my nose just so I could breathe. And then I woke up the next morning, they would ring the bell, they, this huge gong at like 5 a.m., and when they hit the gong, all of us like zombied over to the meditation hall. And they started to explain on a, a recording. Um, S.G. Goenka, or S.N. Goenka, I actually don't remember his name. He was the teacher who started this tradition. He's passed away, I think, in the 90s. But his recordings they still use to teach the meditations. So he was explaining one specific type of meditation called uh, strong determination where you sit for an hour without moving anything not move uh, not moving any part of your body just keeping complete um, bodily stillness and then they explained how to how to do this practice and i tried in the in the meditation hall and there was just like fiery pain running up my back because of how how uncomfortable I was, and my knees, and my hips, and I was trying to find a position that worked for me, but it was very difficult, I was in a lot of pain, so I was shifting a lot, and a lot of judgment that came with that, because I'm supposed to be still. So they ring the bell, and we, they ring the gong, and we go back to our, our cabins, or wherever we want, in between formal sitting periods in the great meditation hall. There's maybe like 200 people on this retreat, 100 men, 100 women, and all the women are on one side of the meditation hall, and all the men are on the other side. And as far as our the living quarters and the dining, the women are on one side, and the men are on the other side. So I walk back to my cabin, and I start to try to sit in meditation because we're we're guided to you know be practicing these meditations when we're back in the room or back. Uh, on the grounds when we're not formally meditating because the whole thing is a silent meditation retreat so I was sitting I think the first night and I was sitting and I was trying to do strong determin to determination meditation and just be still not move in any way and just fight through the pain basically <laughs> I'm laughing now because it seems so silly but I I can hear my cabin mate shifting around and moving and very uncomfortable as well. So for me, there was validation in that. And I I didn't feel so alone. So we're shifting around together. I'm not the only one in pain. I'm not the only one struggling. Because when we were in the meditation hall, it seemed like everyone was 
was doing all right with it except for me. So as we get to the second day, I'm sitting in meditation in the room and I, I start to hear the my cabin mate starting to find some stillness. He's starting to quiet down. And he is not shifting around as much, still shifting, but he's he seemed to have found some peace in it. So I'm trying to push myself through to be still as he is because I'm thinking maybe if I can push through and be still, there will be stillness mentally in that. So we go we go through the days like this, and on the the third day, he's getting to be very quiet, and he's cert- he's found his stillness. He's um, it seems like he's being very still in his meditation practice, and I am still struggling. So I'm 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 comparing myself to people in the uh, meditation hall. Everyone seems to be being still and I'm still in so much pain and I feel like I have to be shifting so I start really judging myself and then the cabinet that I was in there was two entrances to the cabin one on my side and one on his side and one day when I was walking out even though I wasn't supposed to be making eye contact with anyone I saw someone walking from the other side of the cabin and I started to realize okay that's the guy that's the guy who's in there and he's the one who is finding stillness. So I'm going to follow him. So he would walk during the lunch breaks. He would do this path that he would walk in the sun back and forth. And he would stretch in a certain way. So I'm following. When he, After he leaves that spot, I walk in that same sunny spot. And I walk back and forth and I stretch in the same way. When we go to the, the cafeteria, what he takes to eat... I took to eat, and where he sat in the hall, I sat in the in the hall, and I'm just trying to find any guidance without being able to speak or look at someone, trying to find any guidance in how I can have an easier time with this practice. So the days go on, day four, five, six. Uh, there's so much going on in my mind, but maybe that's uh, something I'll share in another podcast episode but generally speaking I'm still moving around and I can't quite find my stillness and they apparently matched me up with the Zen master because he hasn't moved in days and I'm just judging myself for that and he is just in complete stillness and silence day seven eight nine goes goes by day ten and on the eleventh morning we break the silence and when we break the silence, I start talking to people and I start learning some some things about people where they were staying, you know, some experiences they had. And it was a, really it was a tremendous experience to break the silence on that 11th morning and to talk to these people that I had been with for 10 days and had never even spoken to and a lot of them never even seen, even though they were living near me, eating next to me because of the courtesy of the eyes. So I'm trying to find my cabin mate, so I'm I'm asking people, where did you live, where were you living, and I'm looking for the guy, and I see the guy who was living in my, who was living in my cabin. So I go up to him, and I ask him, what is it, um, how was your experience, you know, living in that cabin? And he said, what cabin? And I said, the one over there, A4, whatever it was. He said, that wasn't the cabin I was in. So I started to get a little confused. You weren't in that cabin. Well, who was in that cabin? He said, I don't know. So I found the 
the person in charge, one of the staff members for the retreat, and I asked, who was in that cabin over there, A4 with me on the other side? And the staff member said, that was a guy, uh, there was a guy in that cabin with you for the first three days, but after three days, he couldn't take the, the retreat anymore. It was too much, and he went home. So you can imagine the shock I was in that not only had I created this story that the person next to me was in the room and being completely still and silent because he had figured out the meditation practice and that must mean that I'm not as good as him. But also I had seen somebody walk from that direction and tied him to my cabin and had then convinced myself that this person was the one who was living with me and then I started to copy this person because of the story I had told myself that he was my cabin mate. So this story just got bigger and bigger in my head, but none of it was true. And I started to realize at that moment, it kind of shook the founda my foundation of like, wow, all of this was a story I was telling myself. And since I've come back from that retreat, I can see that happening in my life. I went back to work, you know, the week after that, and I started to see how I was doing that at work. What story was I telling myself about how people thought of me or what people were, were doing or thinking? There was a person at work that I used to think didn't like me. And then I came home after that retreat and I realized, where's my evidence for that? <laughs> Had they ever said that? Had they ever given me any reason? It was just a story I'd created in my head. Another story that I created in my head on the retreat was there was another gentleman who, for whatever reason, almost, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but for whatever reason, I just disliked him. I just didn't like his face. And I thought he didn't like me. And even though we weren't supposed to be making eye contact, there were times when I, maybe I slightly caught the corner of his eye or he caught the corner of my eye and I was just convinced. I was like, this person just has a distaste for me and, I'm, and I have a distaste for him and I just know that I wouldn't get along with him and I just got bad energy when I was near him. And I carried that with me for the whole retreat. And on the 11th day, I ended up talking to him and not only did he remind me of one of my best friends entirely, and I immediately felt a strong connection with him, but him and I laughed together like I hadn't laughed with somebody in years. He was immediately one of the funniest and uh, warmest people I'd ever met. Well, that might be a little dramatic, but like that week, of anybody I met there, I felt very connected. And very, uh, we laughed together. And I had created this whole story that there's a distance and he's got bad energy and he doesn't like me. But it was all a story. So that retreat was very helpful in helping me see the stories that I create in my own head. And when one of them, when the bottom drops out on one or two or three of these stories... It helps me. It helped me start to question: Where else am I telling myself a story, and what's the truth underneath that story? How can I 
How can I see when I'm creating a story? Okay, so I think I'll leave it there for today. But I'm wondering now, maybe I'll share more of the my experiences on these retreats because so many people have questions about it. Anytime I say I've been on a 10-day retreat, people have asked me so many questions. So I wonder if you all would like to hear more about it. If you would and you're in the Facebook group or um, have my email, send me a message and let me know. I... Uh, I'd like to hear your all your feedback as far as what you want to hear more about. All right. Take care.